Hey, folks, anyone in the L.A. area who wants to see me do a lengthy set of comedy before I go on my few parts of the world tour in April, I'll be doing four shows at the Ice House in Pasadena. That's two shows on Sunday, March 4th, and two shows on Sunday, March 11th. Go to icehousecomedy.com for tickets. And everyone in Europe can go to the tour page at WTFPod.com to get tickets for my shows in London, Stockholm, Oslo, Amsterdam, and Dublin. Yeah. All right, let's do the show. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Welcome to the show. How's it going? You all right? Oh, come on, man. Don't don't be that way. Come on. Come on. Open up your heart and uh, and let all this, the terror in. <laughs> Go ahead. Open up your heart and just feel feel the panic. It's like the, I'm the worst. I'm the worst uh, meditation leader. Hey, everyone, I want everyone to take a deep breath. Yeah, take a deep breath. Let it out through your nose. Mm. I think that's the way it goes. That's right, right? Clear your mind. Clear your mind. Just focus. Focus on on what you're, what, the day ahead. Focus on the day ahead. Focus on just everything that can go wrong today. Just focus on just the, the little things. You know, start off, start off small. Like, uh, have you gotten your coffee yet? That could spill on your lap, right? Yeah, that, I, I don't even know if I'd stop. Did you stop already? Just, you know, be careful with the coffee. Don't dump that new uh, thermos of coffee onto your lap or onto the car. Don't drop any uh, food onto your lap. Think about all the things that could go wrong today and just, uh, just dwell on them a minute. Yeah, you could get to work and, you know, your job's not there. Yeah, think about that. Yeah, how's that? You getting, you getting angry? You getting aggravated? You getting tense? You getting t- terrified? Yeah, think about the world. Think about how there's no, you know, we're not part of the Paris Accords anymore and how, uh, you know, we're just going to just push aside all the clean energy, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, uh, adventures and, and all the possibilities of clean energy and just reinvest in fossil fuels and coal. Think about that day where we, where all of us will not be able to breathe at the same time. That look we'll have as we go. I guess we're all going together. Think about the piece of that. Think about that. How nobody will miss anything because we'll all be gone in the same few hours. Is this negative? I don't think it's negative. I think it's important to acknowledge and realize this. Think about your own, uh, you know, the, your own time on this planet and how how uh, how short it is. Breathe in. Open up your heart to this. Open up your heart to just the pure existential terror that we're constantly trying to hide from ourselves. Breathe out. Just breathe out all that peace of mind. Breathe out all of that uh, well-being. Breathe out all that gratitude. Breathe in the darkness and the fear. Am I doing this wrong? Am I doing it wrong? God damn it. I think I'm doing it wrong. Hey, this is really great stuff about one of our sponsors, people. When we first started working with Simply Safe, they had only 10 employees. They thought up a new way to offer home security, and since then, they've become the fastest growing home security company in the nation, protecting more than 2 million people. And now they've just released their brand new home security system, the all new Simply Safe. It is completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages, downed Wi Fi, cut landlines, bats, hammers, and everything 
everything in between. The all-new Simply Safe was redesigned to be practically invisible with sensors so small you can blanket your home in protection and never notice. But you know who will notice? The people who you are trying to keep out. Simply Safe has added a lot with this new system, but you still get the same fair and honest price. $15 a month for 24-7 protection and no contracts ever. The new Simply Safe is smaller, faster, and stronger than anything they've built before. But supply is very limited. Visit simplysafewtf.com to order now. Do, do it. Order it now. That's simplysafewtf.com now. 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 All right. Just breathe in that your house is going to be robbed. <sighs> breathe out that you can get simply safe. Look, I integrated into the bit. All right, folks, look, I didn't mention who was on the show today. Uh, two guests. David Wayne. You know David Wayne from the state, from Stella, from his directorial adventures in film. Uh, he's got a new movie. It's about Doug Kenny from the National Lampoon, and it's about the that, that uh, beginning of that magazine. It's called A Futile and Stupid Gesture. It's now streaming on Netflix. He'll be here in a minute. And I was very happy to have Ezra Furman on the show. Ezra Furman has a new album. It's called Transangelic Exodus. Comes out on February Ninth, and he was just a guy that uh, I don't know. I got some. I get into it in a minute. What do, what do we What do we need to talk about? Where Where are we at? The cats are starting to come to the new house. Isn't that odd? I'm starting. You know, I'm sort of dug in over there a bit, kind of still in between houses. Obviously, I'm still in here, here at the garage, still work getting going going on here. But uh, saw a cat on my uh, on my new front uh, stoop. A cat. They're coming. They know where I am. Word is out. The cats are on the move. On the move. David Wayne and I go back. David Wayne and I go way back to the beginnings of our comedy careers. Uh, I didn't know him during the state, but I knew him after when all of those guys started to do stand-up. And uh, it's been a long time since I had him on. He was on, he was on a very early WTF, and he's here now to talk about his new film about the National Lampoon, A Futile and Stupid Gesture. Now streaming on Netflix, this is me and David Wayne. So, David Wayne, it's been a long time since we chatted. I looked it up eight years ago. Is it really? Yeah. Eight years ago was the original WTF? Isn't that incredible? It's a whole different world. I don't even remember what you were promoting, but the you were married. Changed. I you wasn't were happy. promoting anything. You ran into me on the street in New York and said, I'm doing a podcast. Come talk to me. It was that early on? Oh, yeah. And you, I, what? what? I, a lot of my life was pretty different, yeah. I lived in New York at the time. New York? Diehard New Yorker. Yeah, I had a second kid since then. Right. I've made like three movies. I've uh, done a lot of things. Moved to LA. You're not married anymore? Not married. Got divorced. Wow. A lot has happened. Yeah. The, the entire country has changed for the worse. The whole country has changed. Everything's terrifying. And, uh, you, uh, and, you've, and you've made another movie. And I just made another movie now, yeah. I know. That's why you're here. That's what brings you here. That's Aside what, from that friendship. That was the impetus. <laughs> the, 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 what reminded me to want to come was how, that. How long have you lived here? Uh, about four years now. Really? Yeah. When, when uh, my oldest son started kindergarten and I'm like, uh, I was looking at the calendar and it looks, like, it looks like I'll probably be away nine months next year. Right. In LA. Yeah. So I'm like, this is stupid. And, and how old's that kid now? He just turned 10. And, and how old's the other one? Seven. Just today. They're today's, young kids. Today's his birthday. Really? And you're here? Yeah. Where's he? He's in school. I was just at his school. Giving, oh, it's Friday. Yeah. I was just giving him him and his uh, classmates some donuts. And is the mom here? The mom's here, too. The mom was there with, with me. 
uh-huh. at the uh, we're friends. You are, yeah. Well, that, that's good. We see each other all the time. Oh, good. Yeah, that's nice. And wh- what part of town did you uh, settle in? Studio City. Oh, that's there's some nice homes up there. I oh, know it's a lot great. Of, I know a lot of people that live well, up there. Well, coming from New York, I, I found a little spot where I can walk to the coffee and the pizza. And <laughs> the, does it, oh yeah, does it, do you still do you really do that, David? I do because it's really right there. And so I go with my kids. Like this morning, we walked to the little coffee shop for breakfast. Okay. For special birthday breakfast with my kids. Because I did that when I moved here. I moved over by uh, you know Franklin by that one block where the Gelson's is and the old UCB yeah. and the Bourgeois Pig and the uh, the Chicken Place. And I was like, this feels like New York. It's like it's a block. It's three stores. Yeah. Within a week, you're driving everywhere. I didn't feel like it. I, I don't think it feels like New York, but it's just a nice thing to not have to get in your car sometimes. Yeah. Rarely though, right? Yeah, I I go to I go to that strip a lot. Oh, good. All right. Well, then. Well, they. So I also you, bike a lot. I try to stay on the oh, car. When I, I need can. to exercise. I can't even talk about it. I've been on a shoot for months, and you know the craft services. I'm just like eating to you know, out of self contempt. Yeah. Right. So the the National Lampoon movie. Yeah, a futile and stupid gesture. It's called. I I ended up. Uh, I got a screener of it the day before yesterday, and I watched it yesterday because my sh- oh, that's my, awesome. Yeah, my uh, my call time was pushed, so I'm like, well, I guess I'll watch David's movie. I'm so glad you did that. It's the first one of your movies I've seen in a while. Nothing personal. Don't worry about it. Yeah, the, I think we live in this great era in our business where yeah. there's absolutely no expectation that you've seen your friend's stuff because there's too much stuff out there. Yeah, and it's sort of like I don't. You really, it's a matter of time. Yeah, and then you're you're like, oh, that's right, he did that one. I should get back to that. And also, I think there, we live in an era where uh, the party's always ongoing. There's no late to the party. You just get right. back to it. You're never gonna have an yeah. Everything's you, on all the time. Every, that's right. Everything's on all the time. But I had uh, an interest in the subject matter. I, I'm a, uh, a heavily uh, National Lampoon influenced person. And are you interested in comedy? No, that had, it had no pull. Okay, for so well, but the, uh, but no. the Lampoon, I enjoy. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I am. But how old are you? Uh, 48. So, okay, so I'm 54. Yeah. Like, when I was, I guess the first issue of Lampoon was probably like 71 of National Lampoon yeah, or 70, so. I think, 1970. Yeah. Somewhere in there. With the duck and the woman. Right. Like, I, there's there's a, a chapter in my life where, you know, I coveted the National Lampoon. Because I, I, in 1970, I was like seven. But, like, I'd see it on the newsstands, and it was always very compelling and lurid and something grown up about it. And then I started reading it around, I can't remember what issue it was, but it was all very mind-blowing. It was clearly adult humor. Yeah. Because I was a Mad Magazine kid. Me too. Right. So, like, that was the jump. You know, Mad Magazine to National Lampoon. Right. And when you made that, you definitely felt like it was a rite of passage. And it was, for me, it was like, you know, 13, probably 14, maybe years old. Yeah. See, I never quite made the jump. I, I never felt like I was smart enough. Because uh, I, I think being just that much younger also, yeah. the height of the Lampoon was, I was already... It was already kind of declining by the time I was old enough to read it. Uh huh. From my, from my. Oh, mind. I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah no, I, it was still pretty vital. Uh, by the, when I was in, because it was still the seventies. Because I was, I was bar mitzvahed in seventy six. Okay. Good. So you know, it was still. I think it. It was still at the height, really, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, at that time it was. And um, it was. It was like I just remember like there were certain things that like stick in my mind. Uh, the what's the the great story where the guy wakes up with a vagina. Right, yeah, that was great. The I remember the uh, the El- Eddie Bauer catalog satire because mm-hmm. yep. of the pictures. Some of it goes so far too; it really gets edgy in a way that I don't. Oh, it's yeah. crazy! It's it was amazing. and the uh, Michael O'Donohue stuff was uh, was way out there, out of his mind. And and I still have, I think I still have the 
somewhere the yearbook uh, satire. Which is awesome. Which you spent a lot of time on in, or a little bit of time on in the movie. Yeah. And the comics in National Lampoon were great too. And the photo funnies, which you used to sort of, you used a lot of devices in the movie to keep it going, keep it moving, keep it funny. Yeah. And keep it cohesive too. Well, it was cohesive. You have a timeline there. Yeah. Uh, and, but you were, you, there were some very meta elements that, that were funny devices that kind well, of did you. not distract from the, the story and it made it kind of lively. Well, doing a biopic is an interesting challenge and I've never done anything like it. So it was, well, what, what compelled you? Uh, what comedic spirit compelled you? Well, I mean, there's obvious reasons why I'd be interested in it because it's about the thing that I do with comedy and it's sort of kind of like chronicling the generation that came uh, one or two before mine did. And yeah. It's our community paying homage to the earlier community. Um, but the project was not initiated by me. Uh, Colton and Abood, uh, uh, Michael Colton and John Abood, uh, got together with Peter Principato and John Stern, uh, who were the producers of it. And yeah. then they, um, they came to me with the book that was written by Josh Karp uh, in 2003. And we've been working, though, together on it since before they wrote that first draft of the Is script. it a biography of Doug Kenny? The biography of Doug Kenny, the founder, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it's been almost 10 years we've been working on this together uh-huh. and trying to crack the nut of how do you tell a whole life story and, you know, how do you put it on film? And it was a really, uh, it was a really cool thing. I've never done anything that was about real people and some of whom are still alive. And um, so we together kind of did it. So what, what, well, so how did you, like early on, you know, cause you, when you think biopic and you think about biopics, like the, the one thing that was sort of playing in your favor is that your, your main character was not as visibly recognizable to most people. Well, to me, this is one of the big appeals of this. Yeah. This is somebody that most people have never heard of. Right. And if you're a comedy nerd, maybe, but most people have never even heard the name. Right. Uh, but he was such a pivotal central figure in the creation of comedic point of view that we all are part of. So. Sure. Well, yeah. You know, going, you know, to, uh, to SNL, to Ivan Reitman, yeah. to, uh, the film careers of that first crew of SNL people. Harold Ramis. Yeah. Yeah. And the lampoon of it in and of itself. It was very interesting. What made you decide to, you know, to have Martin Mull in, in, in essence be a non-existent older yeah. Doug Kenny, uh, what, what, what was that? The How'd... initial impetus uh, was that w- when I first uh, started talking to the writers about how to shape it, I felt like we should be as outside the box as we can uh, and not just do a plodding, chronological, generic biopic about this guy who was far more interesting than that to me. And, and I wanted to, I feel like, well, what would Doug Kenny have enjoyed as his own life story? Yeah. And also this idea of having the modern Doug Kenny narrate ended up being useful in so many different ways. It helped us to tie together all these disparate episodes. Yeah. And it gave it a modern day point of view on all this stuff, which right. I thought which turned out to be pretty important to us because the humor of it, you know, it has its own it exists in a time and a place, in a context. It's not all of it is funny in the way that it would be if you were saying like here it is today. So Do you think so? Well, it depends. I mean, certainly there's plenty of stuff in, if you think about it, you look at the first season of SNL, the same thing. There's some stuff that just doesn't feel as funny just because it feels old or not fresh and other things have changed because of the cultural uh, yeah. ways have changed. Um, certainly everyone's talked, you know, people talk a lot about how misogynist it was, which is true. It's hard to, you can't deny it. Um, but it seems like if you contextualize some of the, the, the more poignant and pointed satire, 
uh, uh, from National Lampoon, you know, it's certainly it worth, it's worth its weight. You know, they weren't oh, yeah. pulling any punches. And in some ways, you know, it was meant to go beyond funny to just tasteless. Oh, yeah. And they were, they were looking to push boundaries. Yeah. Uh, sometimes more than be funny. Right, yeah, because there's that great scene with Matt Walsh as Maddie Simmons. It's Maddie, yeah. is it Maddie? Uh, you know, comes running down the hall in a montage of people suing. Right, everyone sued them. Yeah. And you know that they got off on that. You know, they were all about how exciting that was. But I noticed that there were, am I wrong in that, were there actors from Animal House, secondary actors from Animal yes. House in the film? Like, was the woman on the, the tour the, bus? The tour bus uh, was one of the Martha cheerleaders? Smith, who was the one, who was the one who, at the end of the, of Animal House, it Not says, the cheerleader, the, uh, Babs. the the Babs, the uh, the uh, Omega sorority girlfriend, yeah. and was the guy who played Niedermeyer, right? He was he was one too. of the executives, and he and so we tried to you know and made little reference, and in fact he says in the movie, "What are you going to do with your life?" Right, which is a reference to his that mo- that Twisted Sister music video that he yeah made. yeah <laughs> right so, you know we like to just it, we thought why not have fun with this we don't we we wanted to in anything I do I try to. Not take it too seriously in the wrong way, but take it seriously in the right way. You but know? you did. How were the facts? Were they tight? I mean, did you, yeah, did you oh, bend it, the truth at all? It was so exhaustively researched. Um, and we knew everything that we were doing and what was right and what was wrong. But then we knew you, there's a part in the middle of the movie where we list all the things that we changed to for dramatic reasons, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, there's plenty of things in there that either we don't know or that we changed to tell a more clear story. And that's just, I think, what you have to do. And, and we had rec- we had all these people that we that some yeah Joe's in it, Joe Trulio, yeah Tom Lennon. Tom Lennon was great. Was Michael O'Donohue, He's he was great. Really inspired, yeah. It was really a good performance. He's amazing because there is footage of Michael. You know, there's plenty of footage yeah. of Michael. Well, anyone who watched SNL in the early days knows him, or that fucked up movie he made. Right. Mondo Video. Do you remember that? Yeah, Mr. Mike's Mondo Video. That was crazy. I remember watching that late night on like, like, what the fuck is this? Well, that guy was out of his mind in the best way. Joel McHale played Chevy. Jackie. Jackie Tone. Played uh, Gilda. Gilda Radner. And yeah. all those people, I mean, every one of those characters and those performances, I wanted to, we didn't have room to do much with with any one character, and I would love to see a whole movie with these same cast, even of the early stages of SNL, yeah, or, Daly, you know. John Daly, was that John? Yeah, John yeah, Daly playing Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. That was good. He did a great job. Yeah, but I was surprised. Tom Lennon was really, you know, he really it was, <laughs> he locked in. He's and inspired. Natasha, uh, Natasha Leone played and beats. Ba- beats. Yeah, and Matt Walsh was there. Yeah, it was the uh, you know powerhouse. Sounds uh, like an amazing cast. Comedy ensemble. Wow. Yeah, everybody yeah. was represented there. It was cool, and we and Emmy Rossum plays a key role. Uh, as his girlfriend, Catherine Walker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that, um, yeah, I, and what, who played the guy, who played Beard? Uh, Henry Beard is, is Donald Gleason, who you might even not recognize, but he's like one of the top actors. Now he's the guy in Star Wars who plays the, uh, redheaded, uh, uh, yeah, Colonel, and he's been in a million, uh, he's been in like six or seven movies. Oh, wait, this was year. that him with the, from The Revenant? Yes, Donald Gleason. Oh, he's in everything. Yeah, he's an Irish redheaded actor, but he's almost unrecognizable in this. Yeah, no, he's great. That yeah. guy's in everything. Yeah, I, I thought that was a good because I'd seen the um, the documentary recently. Right, uh, drunk, uh, stoned. Yeah, death. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I don't. That where where did that go? It just seemed to be. It was. I know people saw it. Was yeah. in, it had a t- it was like all documentaries. It had maybe a tiny release in theaters, but it was on Netflix, and a lot of people saw it. I thought it was awesome. I, uh, I, I found myself very impressed towards the end of the movie with the transportation of the cocaine in a tennis ball. 
Like I like for some reason that detail is like wow that that was true yeah it was true yeah and also what was uh, the story we heard about Chevy Chase having this very fancy case where he kept all his cocaine and all the paraphernalia yeah. in a really like as if it was uh, the bomb uh-huh. you know it was amazing so when you when I, I I like how you went through all the stuff that they were sort of you know the pitch meetings and then the type of stuff they were satirizing the enemies because this was a an intimate media landscape where uh, you know the magazine like that could have some impact and effect. Yeah, it's a different time. That's another thing I tried to communicate to maybe younger audiences is magazines were huge. Like, yeah. And, and, and Lampoon was really the voice of counterculture. There wasn't anything on TV like that until Saturday Night Live came along. Right. Know? And it was still like sometimes, and you used the photo funnies to document his, the, yeah. the, the dissolving of his marriage. That was clever. Photo funnies were important. The photo funnies were amazing. I mean, for people who might not know, they, they, they would take these little dumb photographs yeah. in their office right. and then turn them into comic strips. Yeah. Not even turn them, just like literally write little comic balloons on them right. and make these dumb jokes. And they became very popular and often had boobs. Yeah, a lot of boobs. Yeah, yeah. it was a, it was good because if you couldn't get hold of a, a Playboy as a thirteen year old, you know, you, right, you, you could get those into the house. You could get National Lampoon, and that the was house. really like that was the window. That was why so many people ended up ultimately <laughs> picking that, that up because of the boobs. Yeah, yeah. That's like why I watched John Viner's Bazaar on Showtime because it had boobs in nineteen eighty one. Oh, did it? Do you remember that it was the first cable show that I was aware of on a premium network, and you they actually had sketches and every two sketches somebody would take their shirt off for a second and it was incredible it was important it even was if a, it was even if you didn't pay for showtime and it was scrambled you'd wait for a minute to unscrabble for a second so what did you ultimately learn did would you what was it in in this process about about comedy or about yourself or about anything anything like i mean how long did it take to shoot that thing uh well it took i don't know 20 some days to shoot um, yeah maybe 30 some days to shoot and um but it was a long gestating thing because we spent you know years and years putting it together and thinking about it and then we actually stopped for six months during the editing so that i could and a lot of us could leave and then spend uh the time writing prepping shooting editing and releasing the wet hot american summer miniseries the second one on netflix uh 10 years later but anyway the point is we had a big chunk of time away from the movie which was really helpful for us to understand because a movie like this has so many different parts and modules and ways to to attack it so yeah. we were we did a lot of creative storytelling thoughts work in the editing yeah uh, and did a couple of days of reshoots and then and then finally put it all together I, could you have ever imagined that 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 camp movie would be a, a franchisable business of course not i was i was i I remember when we were shooting it i was praying we'd have enough money to finish shooting it yeah and then you know i i was never sure it would even come out in any form and it and and now it's developed this like loyal cult and and aging following i have to assume that that a lot of the people was a defining movie for have got to be almost 50 yeah they're getting it well yeah (laughs) we are But I'm happy to say, yeah, younger people seem to like it too. But it's I, who knew? Who knew? We Is were that just camp experience around. still the same? You think? No. I mean, give or take. No, not, not at all. It's I, I think the liability insurance actually uh-huh. changed camp's experience a lot, and parents have expectations for their kids to have yeah. all sorts of computers and stuff. Oh, that's right. And then some were going the Better other direction. Better vetting but, of uh, counselors. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, I mean, <laughs> the looseness, yeah. which I remember so fondly yeah. at my camp, is just would never fly today. Right? Yeah. It was loose and ramshackle, and like we would just sit around all day. 
sit know. around all day and all the cats always were fucking each other. There's yeah. a, and there was no like sending photos back to parents. Like nobody knew what was happening. Yeah. It was amazing. It's a secret place. You'd get a box from your parents every yeah. once in a while. You'd Some hang around all day, snacks. go make out all night and then come home at the end of the summer. And I remember coming back from my summer and I didn't realize how dirty my mouth had become at all. Yeah. And I'd say to my mom, Oh, I had a fucking great time. Fuck mom. Fuck this. Fuck that. Yeah. My parents were like, what the hell? <laughs> what happened? What kind of yeah. camp did we send him to? Now wait, is there a plan for another eight? What hot, what hot, hot, wet? Uh, not at the moment. We sort of put a little. You've done sixteen total. We did sixteen half hours plus the movie. Yeah. Uh, and so, and the last one was the ten years later, which ended has a bit of an ending to it. Uh, if you watch it sometime, and um, the we I think we have other ideas to now expand in other ways in the WHU. Uh, the Wet Hot Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but Is that what you are, call it in the office? That's what I'm starting to call it now. Okay. Putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just exploring that now and we'll see, uh, you know, probably down the line somewhere. Now, do you keep in touch with the, all the other state people? I have yeah. To, I have to ask you that. We still uh, work together all the time in different configurations. And I saw Showalter the other night. Yeah. I guess I didn't realize or put it, or, or no, put it together that he directed The Big Sick. Yeah, yeah, well, it's amazing achievement this year. For yeah, me. I saw him at the uh, Critics' Choice, and he also does that show, Search Party. Yeah, and we did Wet Hot together. He had a great, crazy year. Yeah, good, good. And, because uh, out of out of a lot of you, he he looked like he had a tough year or two. Well, everyone, it's like one of those horse races where at the at the fair where the one comes ahead. And yeah, it's like we everybody has their moments that they. We well, just want everyone them. to keep working. Yeah, you know what I mean. There was a period there where I'm like, oh, is he just going to be a professor? Yeah, you know, and then it all of a sudden, no. I think it's on. cool that you you got all of us on your show. I think I did. Yeah. Did, did I? I think you did. Got them all, or maybe not Todd Hollebeck. The, no, the, he's the outsider, though, yeah, right? Yeah, he moved to Korea, but he was the founder. I know, I know, but it doesn't seem like it's good. Is it good? Is everybody I, okay? Is he good? Oh, yeah, he's fine. I mean, hey, he, he's come back. You know, we've done some things as the entire group in recent years. We did a Festival Supreme show, and we did some new material. And I think I only had Ben on a, on a, on a live one. Did okay. I do a, a one-on-one with Tom? Or did I have Tom and Ben? I think I did do a one-on-one with Tom. Yes, you did. I think. And then I had the two of them. But I, yeah. And Joe, yeah. yeah. And Michael, Ian Black, yeah. And uh, Carrie. And Carrie, yeah. Kevin. And, yeah. Kevin, yeah. But I, I think I did get most of them. Oh, maybe. Did you, and Marino? Yes, I did a one-on-one with Marino. Yeah, and then he was in my TV show, too. But what have you done? 800 of these? Almost 900. <gasps> so you're not going to, like, the, you is I'm it, at the place where I don't know. But is and aren't you at the place also where someone could say a name and you'll be like, I don't know that name, and you're like, but he was a guest on your show. A, I no, I usually know the name, but I sometimes I'm not sure if we did one. Right, it's a lot of episodes. Right. Yeah, I definitely am at the point. I guess I'm grateful where I I forget whole things I did. Like somebody said, you know, I worked with you on blah blah show, and I'm like, I don't even know if I remember what that is. You know. Oh my God, we're getting old. <laughs> But it's good. It means that we're not luxuriating in the past. Or dead. Or dead. Yet. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. It's good talking to you. Congrats on the movie. Good luck with it. Thank you. That was me and Mr. David Wayne. The movie is fun, and it's educational in parts. You'll learn. If you didn't see that documentary, too, on the National Lampoon, forget what it's called. You should watch that as a primer. Is that the word I want? A primer. Get the, get your, get it, get your pump primed with some Lampoon shit. Uh, changed my life, that magazine. Changed my life. So, oh yeah, I got an email. Uh, Mark, email. 
Rita Moreno, the worst whooping I ever got. That's the subject line. Hey, Mark, thanks for years of enjoyment with the podcast, comedy sets here in Charlotte and the TV shows. In about 1978, I was five years old and downstairs with my little sister and brother watching The Electric Company. My memory is of Rita Moreno as the director teaching us about punctuation. She concluded the lesson by raising her megaphone and shouting, the TV is on fire to show us what an exclamation was. So to show what I'd learned, I walked up into the kitchen and yelled, the TV is on fire at my parents. My dad took off like a shot down the stairs. And when he came back up, I didn't get a chance to explain at all. I still remember that as the worst spanking in a childhood that definitely deserves some spankings. Thanks again and take care, Doug. Doug, I got to say, it didn't sound like you deserved that one. And I think, you know, I'm glad you got this out. I'm glad you had this memory. But I, I think maybe uh, if, you're, if, you're, if your father's still alive, you might want to discuss this and explain to him exactly what happened. And just maybe get a little bit of that, a little piece of apology. Just a little bit. You didn't get a chance. He jumped the gun. You, you, learned, you learned something. I don't know how you feel about exclamation points now. Do you avoid them? Do you avoid yelling because of that? Do you, avoid, do you do you get a tinge, a twinge, a twitch when you uh, when you uh, uh, text someone an exclamation point or write an exclamation point? I don't know, man. It, it sounds like uh, I would I would take this email and read it to your father. That's what I would do. So Ezra Furman, look, this kid, this kid, I don't know. Like I got some records, and it there was something to him. It's really how it happened. Uh, I got, I think I got his first two records and I, you know, there's a lot of kind of structurally familiar stuff. You know, it's good. It's good rock, definitely rocks, but there's something really amazing about his songwriting and about his passion and about his rawness, man. He just like, it was one of these, it was like Phil Elverum, but different because that was painfully sad. But then I had him on to talk about his, uh, his, uh, his album, but but Ezra just sort of like, you know, there was something, some, some songs were kind of fifties ish and so it just, there was a, a lot of familiar drive to them, but unique songwriting, unique, uh, voice and just the, the passion and the rawness of it. Just, it got me going. So I'm like, well, who is this kid? Who is this kid from Chicago? So I asked him to come on the show. Uh, as I said earlier, Ezra's got a new record out called Trans Angelic Exodus. It's actually out February 9th. And this is me talking to Ezra Furman. And now you're going out for the big tour. You're going to Europe? Yeah, Europe, USA. Yeah, the first chunk is just a solid two months away. Two, yeah. Two plus months. And, and what, what are you afraid of? So I don't, I break down. I break down on the, on the, on tour. Yeah. I, I like, I have, I have fun, but like yeah. if I don't, if I'm not like sleeping, yeah, I go insane like right away. Oh, really? And I'm like, I hit, I hit. first week? Uh, it's like, it's like two weeks in usually. Yeah. Uh, really start to skid along the bottom of my psyche. Um, how, what is that? How does that manifest itself? Uh, you got your depression. Yeah. And you got your anxiety. Yeah. And then like, are they? There's sometimes it's between those two things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, sometimes it's just like lying on the back bench of a van and yeah. someone's like, it's time to sound check. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't do anything. Oh, really? Uh, and that kind of, that yeah. kind of breaking down. And then, and just... then there's like, 
yeah, just anxiety in different different modes. Like I, like panic about things not going well or it's, dread. It's a lot of stage fright sometimes, but more often it's not about anything. Uh huh. I mean, I think I have a a a uh, some kind of panic disorder. I've had like panic attacks that get kind of yeah heavy and like got to breathe in a bag kind of thing. Uh, is that what people do? Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's old school. No, I just like if you can't catch your breath. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, um, breathing. My chest remembering to breathe. I guess right. Yeah, my chest tightens up. That's where yeah. I, get, I get a lot of my anxiety. Like I can feel like can't get a deep breath. But I've yeah. I've I've learned some skills. Yeah, I've gotten way better with that. Like what? What do you do? Would you get ground yourself? Kind of. Well. Yeah, I at some point I learned yeah. that uh what gets it going is that you think it's you feel it coming on and you're like this is bad, something bad is happening, yeah. everything's wrong, I'm losing yeah. my mind. And it's actually being afraid of it that makes it a problem. Whereas if you just like here it is, it feels bad. Yeah. But it's just a it's just my brain doing a little thing and right. it goes away. And like it that really makes a huge kind of separate yourself from it. As opposed to feed into it, like it, it, it's not the truth. It's just my brain, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know because I used to think like, oh wait, I'm something's dawning, something's dawning about me about what it is yeah. to be alive. Right, Everything's right. actually horrible, and I have been that's right ignoring it. Your it's muse, like, it's your muse that you're ignoring. It's the, a <laughs> the, the 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 dark, depressing void muse. The void muse. Ooh, yeah, that's a good like. Uh, Metal band name. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. It's, uh, I'm fine with it. So, you have a big following in Europe. How's it? How's it working for you out there? They, so far, yeah, care about us more in yeah. England and Europe. And it's been that way from the beginning. Well, at the beginning, obviously, nobody cared about us at all. And uh, no, the first weird thing is that. We somehow had this, um, when I was, I was with my other band, my first band was called Ezra Furman and the Harpoons. Yeah, yeah. Three records we, worth? Yeah, and we we formed that band in uh, in college, when I, when I was in college. Which college? Tufts University in Boston. I know where that is. I used to live down the street yeah. from there. Oh, really? Where'd you live? I lived uh, like uh, on, uh, on Cottage Ave in Somerville, a oh, couple yeah. blocks down from Red Bones. Oh, yeah, of course. Like Davis Square. I lived mm -hmm. in Davis Square before it was cute. It was, right. it was just yeah, now kinda... it's really cute, isn't it? Did you grow up in New England? No, I grew up in Chicago. You're a Chicago guy? Well, Evanston. Uh -huh. I should say I'm from Evanston. Uh -huh. I've been trying to say Evanston because that's where I'm from, the first suburb north of Chicago. So how'd you grow up? Like they're like Jewish? You talk about being Jewish in the music. Yes. Uh... How many of you are there? You Jews, you Jewish Furmans. Uh, there are. So I'm from a family of six. I have six kids. No, or? no, four. Okay, four kids. Yeah, three siblings. Yeah, yeah. My my parents are liberal Jews, but as a uh, child of Holocaust refugees, really. And he grew up your in grandparents. My so yeah, my my dad's parents escaped. They weren't in. They weren't in concentration camps. Got out under the wire. I, um. Yeah, really. Um, Did you know him? I didn't know my grandmother. I, I knew my grandfather. Oh yeah. Um, a a haunted a haunted man. Yeah. Um, 
Did, how old were you? Did, also did, very sweet. Yeah? Wonderful. Did Grandpa you, to me. Could you tell he was haunted or you felt, you felt that from him? Well, I just remember, uh, you know, kind of learning about what the Holocaust was. And then uh, I think maybe some teacher encouraged me like, yeah, you should go ask your grandfather about right. his story. Uh-huh. And I tried to ask him and he just, uh, I think immediately broke down crying and couldn't speak you know oh, and just wow. like so and it was this mysterious thing um like something and i never really got the whole story of his childhood i think he was like seven years old or something and and oh, the yeah. nazis were invading and they left home they're like let's get out of here yeah and so like to me that's always like there was a message of that of like they were paranoid enough you know they yeah, were <laughs> they got out ahead of the curve uh yeah no they survived i bet all their um their friends were like you're yeah. overreacting you know yeah so that makes me a paranoid <laughs> person yeah I, i'm i'm it's paranoid in, it's inherited <laughs> yeah um, so, and how old were you when that when that incident what's when great? i talked to him I, yeah oh i don't know um like really young maybe i was 10 years old oh yeah so it's, it's a um, real memory yeah are you the oldest kid i'm the second of of four. You have an older what? Older brother. Younger brother who was in a band? Yes, that's right. Jonah. Jonah Furman of the band Krill. Yeah, he's got some fans at Krill. Yeah, they're now they, they broke up. I know. He 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 put a hard end on that band. He was, it's over. And then he went to go do uh get into the labor movement. Oh, so he's and, gonna and unions he's he's he worked with. He worked on this Teamsters election of the underdog candidate. And, oh really? So hey, is, a, is he? Uh, he just a, he's a volunteer. Or is he an administrator in the labor movement? What does he do? Uh, so now he he's a lawyer or what? He's not a lawyer. He's he's working on. He's working like for the New Jersey Teachers Union. Oh yeah, and trying to unionize teachers and grad students. Um, yeah, he's doing cool stuff. He made it. it just it was a impressive transition. Well, did did the rock dream die for him, or did he felt like he wasn't doing enough? Uh, I, it, it, it didn't die. He was like, we we did it. We did our band, and I think he was making a new record, and he was like, it's kind of the same as the last one, and then they were all just like, I think that we want to do other things with our lives than just go from dive bar to dive bar, rocking out. Yeah. Right, and it was different. It, it, very different musically. Obviously, you're different people, oh, yeah. but like he, like yeah. I listen to some of it. It's more of a, it's a trio, right? Yeah, and they do power it, trio, power trio, almost like um, there's a little pavement influence, a little like um, yeah. Minutemen, you know, kind of, you know, they get vibe. noisy, yeah, and yeah, like, uh, strange, yeah, and yeah, odd time signatures, and right, cool stuff that really. I admire and impresses me because I'm such a I'm just so terminally three chord oriented. I love that about you. Well, I, I think you. that's why like the the first record hit me. It was sort of like this guy's got a respect for those for that one four five business. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it still works. Well, it it does, but like there there's like it's so, there's so many like almost homages to to that era of rock and roll that you do. It reminds me a lot too of. Um, of the New York scene, the early, the you know, the first wave of punk rock, you know, they they sort of, you know, Ramones, the Dolls, oh, yeah. the Heads, it's, you know, a lot of those, they a lot of them played with that stuff. Well, it's, 
that stuff is kind of where I come from. Is the first music I loved, loved. My who is punk. I mean, my my the thing at twelve years old. Yeah, that made me re- uh, realize that I was like more than a little bit into yeah. music was yeah. Green Day. And yeah. then that's a good game. That's a great. First of all, that is the, the first music. Album? Was it Dookie? It was Dookie that yeah. that got me. That's the music for a for a like hyperactive twelve year old. Uh-huh. It's so it's so perfect. Yeah. And then it's and then of course you know to read about them you just like it's this branching path. They're like, oh, who are the Sex Pistols? What right. the right. Clash? They were the portal. Yeah. Into the punk. Yeah. Yeah. And then so I thought that's what. I thought that was my destiny to was to be a punk rocker and uh-huh. then and then some other stuff kind of took me by surprise. Like uh Bob Dylan. A lot and, of Dylan, a lot of Dylan in the early records, the early Furman records. Yeah. Yeah. That's you right. can definitely yeah. hear it. And, he, and there's also some like uh, there's some sort of Phil Spectory, Springsteen-y kind of thing too, maybe. A mm-hmm. hint of it. Mm-hmm. Did that do anything for you? I I mean I Oh yeah, I I got really <laughs> <laughs> then 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 the yeah like the Ronettes hit me and I was like right. oh wait no this this yeah. is the thing like yeah. it was just thing after thing like no wait this is it yeah and then like growing I don't know I I grew up listening like to mix CDs and mixtapes and Violent Femmes I can't focus is the thing yeah Violent Fe- yeah I heard about the Violent Femmes because uh, somebody saw me play at an open mic and. He- they were like, oh, man, it's great. You you love the Violent Femmes, don't you? And I was like, Violent? Let me write that down. Well, you sound a little like him sometimes, like Gano, yeah. like some Gordon. Of us, some, are just, some of us are just blessed with the golden well, Gano voice. It's, the it nasal, is, like... Well, you don't do it all the time, though. It's, it's, like, almost, it's almost like when you hit a certain note... You, you you you're reminiscent of it, and there's a rawness to that. There, you know, there the familiarity of that of whatever he does, which isn't a lot. It, it definitely delivers. You know, you can. I, I don't listen to many uh, rock guys' words, but I have to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, that's, and it's nice. It's good. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, that. But your voice that was, is very that's commanding. That's a Gordon Gano thing, and a and a Johnny Rotten Sex Pistols thing. That enunciation. Uh huh. Because. I remember I saw Johnny Rotten on on TV, on, on like a VH1 thing yeah, or something, yeah, and I was yeah. like, the way that he's, everything he's doing is who I am, you know? And it, that's how I felt at age. Angry? Well, you were angry? Yeah, and just like, and wanting to make sure you knew what the fuck he was saying, you know? He'll, an antichrist. Yeah, like, yeah. He'll, he really gives you all those, <laughs> those um, yeah. consonants. Sure, yeah. Um, Enunciation is very important. <laughs> yeah, I believe in it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm agree. a words guy. Also, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a writer. You definitely that's the are. First thing, I mean, that's what I thought I would be when I was a kid. I, I was into creative writing. Yeah. But there, no, you definitely write the shit out of songs. There's no, there's no question about it. And there's like certain, like, yeah, you know, right at the very beginning, you know, you you take on big themes and you move through. You know, very you know Dylan esque kind of uh, turns of phrase and long narratives. It's great, and you and then you start and then you filter in the sort of like bebop stuff, and then you filter in a little like you know good old time Buddy Holly rock, and you know you just, sure sure you go through all of it. I I mean I've diagnosed with ADHD at age sixteen, so it's musically expressed. You know yeah. I can't focus. I I sometimes feel like I should have just 
just choose a sound and stay with it, Ezra. Just like yeah. But uh, but you do the oddly still you do you do have that. I think a mood and a and a kind of worldview hangs over it all. But a, a tone too. I mean, just you know, because of the way you you know you you got a very urgent uh, you know sensibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that kind of you know moves through uh, you know all of it, no matter what the what style you're playing in. What about your other sibs? What are or what are they doing? We uh, all boys. No, I, I, my sister. I have a younger sister, older brother, younger sister, younger brother. What's so, the older uh, brother up to? He's a he's an artist. So we're all artsy types somehow. And our, our like a painter or what he's, kind? Of? He's a visual artist, a painter, sculptor in Chicago. Um, well, he lives in in New York now. Yeah, actually, Jersey City. Jersey City, home of the former Maxwells. That's right. Uh, oh, it's Hoboken. Uh, no, no, that's, that's Hoboken. Hoboken. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, that kind of the, yeah. I, that... I was born in Jersey City. Oh, really? Yeah, I did, but that was really the last time I spent any real time there. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I it was nice. You enjoyed yeah. your time. I did there. all right. Yeah, my dad was from there, Jersey. Uh-huh. So, what'd your dad do? Uh, nothing artsy. Um, trade a stock options trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still like around? The stuff that numbs my mind. Yeah. Uh, is he still okay. around? He's still around. Yes. Yeah. He's, you guys get along? We do. We do. I, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. I, I really your family do. Or in general. In general, in oh, this yeah. world, I think our our family is like really. It's just one of those close families. I mean, we used to have we had all kinds of troubles and conflicts growing up, and they and they really faded away, and we just are just tight. We're buddies. All of you. All of us. What's yeah. your sister do? She's a poet. I mean, so now she's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how we all turn into artists like that. Because, because uh, what, what our you... parents are are not. They don't seem particularly artsy. Although my mom does uh, does do like a po- poetry group and writes poems in her spare time, kind of. Uh huh. So your your sister's a serious poet. Yeah. Well, she got the whole MFA and uh, and. Um, yeah, she's a serious poet, but she's she's work. She's living in Nashville, and she's working uh, at Vanderbilt University, I think. Uh huh. Um, teaching? Not teaching. Uh, doing administrative stuff. She likes it I, down there. She loves Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. I do you do like too. it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do yeah. too. I do too. I I like the city. Yeah. It it can be a tough music town. Sure. Uh, For, there's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who I don't know. There's tons of musicians there, and then some people sometimes they get a little snobby about sure. it. Sure, yeah, it's a it's a real industry town of a certain industry. I I don't hear much country in your catalog. Yeah, it's it's uh like the, it's not like I've noticed. Like I know I can hear a lot of the the bebop, the Dylan, the old time rock and roll, some ballady stuff, yeah, but yeah. but like there's nothing you know noticeably twangy. I'm so Am I missing suburban. something? I'm, I'm, I'm very. Did I miss one? And, yeah. Is I, there a twang around? There's there? some. There's some twangy moments. I've yeah. written some some country esque weepers. You did. There's, you... there's a li- like that. There's one called "Hour of Deepest Need." Uh huh. That's. Uh, well, I guess Dylan had a lot of country elements too, right? Oh yeah. Hour of Deepest. I Need? I mean, if you're trying to be, I mean, like I am trying to be a student of the great songwriters. 
So, you know, you got to you got to go to Towns Van Zandt, etc. Oh, yeah. at some point. Yeah, for you know, you can only dip in you know, don't go in too long. <laughs> That's right. For any I, one time. I know. You come out a, real sad. Sense <laughs> yeah. of enveloping darkness there. Which, oh my god. You can feel um, it right away. I know. Like, you know, you, before you even start singing. If you yeah. have you ever seen video of them where it's just sort of oh, like yeah. it's like fucking heartbreaking. I know. It's and like just, just drowning in liquor. Yeah. It's it's very upsetting. What was your first Dylan experience? So that was a special thing because I was like I, I I wanted to get a guitar and play punk songs, right? You know, and uh, my it was I think my mom was like, "We'll get you a guitar. Yeah, you're gonna get an acoustic guitar, and you're gonna play. You're gonna like learn some songs that we like." <laughs> right there's your song and so yeah. so so she got me a book of bob dylan's songs chords you know yeah and i was like okay i will i will listen to one of these songs and learn to play it and show my mom and i'll be off the hook yeah and then so that i went it was an alphabetically organized thing so yeah. i went to the first song absolutely sweet marie found yeah. my parents blonde on blonde cd i was like okay what's this how would i do uh, it and then you know, it's suddenly it's like this, this. Wait a second. Wait a second. It's all Let me hear here. that again. And then, and then you know, Visions Blonde of on Joanna Blonde became my thing. Then my, th- that's what started like uh, Blonde on Blonde. I want to be a great writer. I want to be like a Visions a of Joanna is like one of my favorite songs ever. That shit is incredible. It's insane, man. It's like yeah. everything's in there. <laughs> I know. There's so many songs of Dylan's where you're like, it's all here. <laughs> Everything. It's, it's, All questions are answered. Special guy. He's a special guy. Um, and so, by that time, he's sort of like he's built this world where he can do anything. And by on blonde and blonde, he's just like he's 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 moved all the parameters. Yeah. He's he's broken down all the fences, and now he's got like a playground to make this giant double record on. The songs feel yeah, they feel like there's everything in there. So when did you first start writing the songs? How old were you? I guess I was fourteen. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. Did any in, of those in that songs? Dylan with with it was just it was just taking that Dylan songbook and changing the words and then changing a few chords like I would take a song and do it exactly but it'd be a song I never heard so I didn't know yeah. actually how it went right and then I'd change all the words and then I've got it then I wrote a song so you figured out how the 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 way he rhymes the way it works with him i mean it's a very specific way he turns phrases like it's a poet's game that you know he no one writes songs like him really yeah right and it's the not thing just... i mean it's i'm i'm amazed that i stuck with it because with dylan well actually with writing songs uh because i i was really i could i from the get-go i could not sing well yeah. at all and my parents tell me now like we were really, they were really, uh, concerned. They were like, should we take that away from him? Cause like we, he can't, we can't allow him to think that he's good at this. He won't stop oh making that sound. They, they told you that? <laughs> they told me much later. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> they were like, let him, let him figure it out. Uh huh. But I was content to be bad at it for a long time. Well, Dylan, would, there's a lot of people that would argue he's a horrible singer. That's crazy. He's an amazing singer. I love, yeah. He's got control. He's got an unusual voice, but no, I I, I agree. He knows, what and he's and doing. he's uh, he's played around with it uh, over the years. So you were writing at fourteen. Did any of those songs remain? Did they keep? Uh, did they? Did, did any of them make the first record from when you were a kid? 
I think the first one that I kept and eventually released, I probably wrote when I was just 16. Yeah. On the um, first record? On the first record, like stuff like American Highway. Uh-huh. Um, which, you know, it, it makes me kind of cringe now, but it's... Does it? I, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, actually, that, that's not that's not right to say. I just it's just you nitpick your old stuff. Of course, you know, like, uh, you, know you you could have done something differently, right? This, I would now, but it was. But there's but there's but I don't know. Like there, I I mean I listened to a lot of them and I, and I listened to them you know recently. You know, there's a lot of interesting ideas on on that first record that like God is middle aged woman. That's a good song, and was, uh, my soul has, has escaped my body. That's a good one. It was it was very alive. Yeah, that, and you're, all, I, you're all jacked up. I'm a little. I'm. I. I cringe also because I didn't care that I was like singing way out of tune or whatever. I'd, yeah. I mean, I remember at that point I didn't care about anything musical. Like we we would do the first take of the song and I'd be like, okay, next song, and you know the yeah. guy recording it, he's like, yeah, uh, maybe we should do it a few more times. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what? We did it already. It sounded. <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good though. Well, where'd you um, record that thing though? Did you, were you in college or was it after college? Were you? That was in? during college, yeah. So Somehow, you were like, like you were like what nineteen? When we recorded, I think I was I'd, I'd turned twenty. Uh, yeah, but we formed the band when I was nineteen. Who Rather, are those guys? Those any of those guys play with you anymore? Uh, no, I see them from time to time. And are they we're, still we're in, the, good in the game? And, uh, in the music game? No, they they really they got out. And they're and they're all kind of much happier. <laughs> really? No, I mean I I feel like we they were all like you you might you're good at this you're gonna maybe be in this for life we're gonna go like become a so lawyers. did you do those they became lawyers well, well one, one of them's them? a lawyer yeah. so so you good. guys did those first two or three records all when you were in college and they were able to sort of like that yeah. was a college thing uh, good luck with everything and then we did a few years after college and. They were all, they were starting to be like, is this really my life? Like, right. you know, cause it's like, it's a heavy, nobody heavy to, commitment. People didn't care about our band. Right. We didn't make money. We, we, you didn't have a following in Boston. You didn't, I mean, a little following. We could, uh, we could maybe sm uh, like sell out the, uh, upstairs Middle East. Oh, upstairs? Upstairs, the little room right, at the right. Middle East. Oh, yeah. Um, or fill it anyway, but, yeah, um, wasn't you were we, we, we didn't launching or anything. It's like a couple blogs that liked us, and that yeah. was enough to keep us going somehow. So you they peel away, and then you do the solo record. You do three yeah. records with the Harpoons in three college, records. and, and where did you record them in your house? Uh, well, we did a demo in a in a dorm room, and then no, we got a record deal. That's the shocking thing. Is yeah. like it, we formed the band, and we were like. Well, we could get summer jobs or like take summer school classes, or we could go on tour this summer. Yeah, because we, I had a, I had a friend who became my manager, Mitch Marlowe, a, a hero of my mm -hmm. of my life, who was like, you could actually, you could. In college, you met that guy. I actually met him in high school. For a Chicago guy. A Chicago guy. Yeah. He saw me play at an open mic, which I used to do all the time. When, when in Chicago, there. when you were in high school. When I was in high school, actually, I'd go. Usually with my dad, to down the street to a to a bar because I couldn't get in my, alone. So you just acoustic guitaring it. I'd play acoustic yeah. guitar, and you know surprise all the 
the like uh, 35 year old dudes who are at the open mic. Right. I'm like, that kid, oh, that was kind of interesting. Uh huh. And so, uh, yeah, so I met, so I met this guy, Mitch, and he was like, if you ever want to, uh, you know, do a real music career with this, um, yeah. I can help. I like manage another band. I could manage you if you want. Who was his other band? Uh, they were called the Red Walls. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They were a great, very old, the kind of sixties sound and garage uh-huh. group from yeah. uh, from Chicago suburbs, and they were fantastic. Um, so he took you on. So he took us on once we had formed a band, and he was like, "I'll call in some favors, get you on like first of three at various dive bars across the Midwest." You know? Yeah, first of three. I never heard that term. I like it. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> That's a rough spot. Or yeah, maybe first of five. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some of the bars uh, made us stand outside because you know we weren't old enough to drink. So oh like, my god, you wait till you play, then you play, then you get out. Yeah, no one's closing us down because of you kids. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and then the shocking thing was that he got he got some he got a Chicago indie labels vice president or A and R guy to come to our show in Chicago, and they were like, "That that that was an amazing show. You're signed. Let's do it." With the Harpoons, you guys traveled over the summer. Mm-hmm. You got the other. Where are all those other guys from? Um, around the Iowa, East Coast, Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. We just we met at Tuft. Sure, right. That's right. Yeah. But they're all different places. Um, but you got some you got some chops playing around Boston. Then you went and did the gig in Chicago, and you get yeah. signed. I wouldn't call them chops. And we got signed somehow, and that, that was very shocking to us. It was like the thing with me is like I just never. My highest ambition was to record something in a. St- Record something and like be on somebody's mixtape that they gave to their friend. Like I was like, if that could happen, that would be making it. I think that's happened, and that happened very quickly. And I was left with the problem of like, oh, what is there other things I want out of this? Do I? Uh, I and, you, you made some mixtapes. Yeah, some people put you on a mixtape, and you're like, am I done? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just it didn't occur to me that like this could be my career yeah i thought that was like a one in a million thing yeah that you like somehow become famous and you're in a band i didn't i was a i was a dumb so yeah, once you had answer, so once you asked yourself those questions so how long over how many years did you do the first three records two years uh they would think oh seven oh eight and oh ten i guess uh-huh and you were writing all the songs yeah. How ba- how yeah. bad could you have the attention deficit disorder if you can kind of hold it together to play music and write songs is that what well, focused I mean, you? I thought maybe I was going to be like a novelist. I could only concentrate to write like a three-minute thing. Well, but that <laughs> takes hours sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, that's were, true. That's true. I got, I've got some... Like even like on the solo record, like American Soil, which is a great song. That must have taken days. That took some time. That, that, <laughs> by then, I started, I started to edit, you know? Yeah. When I first started, I was like, I would write the song in one sitting. Uh-huh. In, uh, and then in just half go an with hour, it, and then it's like it's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I was also my goal then was to write a song every week. If I felt very disappointed in myself if I didn't write a song a week. Yeah, so that's a work ethic. Yeah, which yeah, nobody told me like that's a, that's a lot more than most people write. <laughs> but it, it paid off. I mean, you put a lot on vinyl. You put a lot on on. You laid a lot of tracks down. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the other thing is like I had my foot out the door a lot of the time because. I wasn't in college. I thought I was going to do comedy, which I wanted to. 
mention to you because it was like the road not taken for me. Really? Because I, I, I was in a sketch group in college. Really? And I was I would like write humor articles and stuff for the newspaper when I was in high school. Yeah, I really almost did it. I saw these, I saw people coming out of that and going into into comedy. Did you careers. try? Did you try uh, stand up? I didn't it, try stand up. I did. I I was kind of into improv when I was, I also used to go to Chicago Improv a lot and I O and that was yeah. just so fascinating to me. But do you never tried stand up? I never tried stand up. I th- I, I was just. Interest. It's interesting to me why I I went away from it. I think I didn't get along with those comedy guys, uh-huh. and it was too rough too, for you. <laughs> it was too broy, and like yeah. I was like, do we ever get to connect in a serious way with each other, or is everything like a bit? You know, like I just knew all these guys who were always on, and uh, yeah, you, I, have I to de- you have to learn how to decode it. Yeah, yeah, and I think I just like there was. It, it ultimately, it's not my instinct to to poke holes in in pretentious things. I think that's the comics. That's what you you want to. That's what comic comedy people want to do. And I like. I just like being serious. And but you do it though. I mean, I I, I understand what you're saying. Is that I think that the the you know what comedy does as far as you know truth to power or confronting uh uh you know big ideas and big topics or hypocrisy or any of the stuff that comedy is fueled uh, against uh you do you do with your your songs it, it, maybe you just it, i maybe comedy was too limited for you i don't i'm not sure about that it's, i yeah i mean you know dylan is pretty funny but but dylan can be very serious and you know and you know, a turn of a phrase you know that packs a punch. It doesn't have to be funny. I mean, that's that's my favorite. Like, like I like Kyle Kinane because of his turns of phrase. You know, uh-huh. I mean, he, yeah. he writes those yeah. sentences. Like, oh, I yeah. like people who play play with words. That's yeah. my favorite thing. But you um, can, do, but you know, it doesn't have to be funny. I mean, uh, but, but I understand <laughs> that right. maybe the community was a little too harsh. Yeah, yeah, they're harsh and. I don't know. Maybe I was also too pretentious for it. You know, I I've, I've got like, I've got a pretentious streak. Like I'm an artist. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it also seems like on some of the records that like you were kind of um, struggling for years with how you fit into the world. Well, aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To some degree. I mean, I mean, more so. I think when you're younger. Yeah. Um, because the solo record, what, what, what was that for you? I mean, what was there? Did you know, like, who were the guys playing on that? On, uh, the year of no beat returning? Some, some people, it was a lot of me playing a bunch of different parts and yeah. stuff that I, you know, never really played lead guitar before that exactly. Yeah. Or if a chord basher. Um, but, uh, it was, the thing was that I moved into this house with some new people that I kind of just met, friends of friends. Where? In Chicago, in uh, oh, you in, went back home in Lincoln Square. Yeah, yeah. After like, like, kind of, basically two years of straight touring and almost not really having a home a lot of with the, the time harpoons? with the harpoons. And then I moved into this house in Chicago. Uh huh. And I'm like, let's take some time off from touring. And at the top of the house, uh, my who the guy who became my new producer and bandmate, Tim Sandusky, he had built this home studio. Uh huh. 
And I kept going up there and looking around and being like, I've got to do something in here. Yeah. And I was, I was, I kind of went into this antisocial period of like, I don't, I just want to, I just want to be a megalomaniac about, about a recording uh -huh. and, and make all the decisions uh -huh. myself. No, no band democracy, no voting on which song is the best. Like, I'm just going to make a really insular thing. Yeah. I liked doing that. Um, I don't know. It's also like your college friends, you've got your dynamic and it's a, and you've known them for five years. We've been spending 24 hours in a day in a car together and, uh, you kind of just have your old dynamic and I was trying to break it, trying to go somewhere uh -huh. different. Uh-huh. Uh, did you think you did it? Yeah. It was a step in, in a good direction. Yeah? Yeah. What do you think about those old, that old, those old relationships that kind of held you back? Well, they didn't, they didn't, it was kind of, we were just in a, in a holding pattern at uh -huh. that point. I mean, the other thing about it, I guess, is that I felt pretty closeted. I felt pretty among a bunch of bros and, you know, trying to get along with the bros and, uh, right. kind of tamp tamping down my f queerness the f and my i mean like but they knew or they didn't i mean they knew i was i told them that i was bisexual yeah but like i was just still saturated in the broiness and the and like i didn't really have many gay friends and i I was just kind of there was something culturally suffocating me a little bit. It was me. It was me. It was me just like refusing to tell anyone where I was at ever, and just like in any room I would walk into, I'd just try to either be invisible or make everybody more the most comfortable possible. Right. Take on their right. way of speaking. Uh, right. Right. Uh, I just sort of like uh, yeah, zealot it a little bit, like kind of like you know, just adapt to whatever the flow is, and you know, you kind of. Uh, it's a boundary thing where you just sort of like become kind of absorbed to protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it, over the years, it like, it what, it never seemed like a big enough deal to like have, uh, that's the thing that I, I think not everybody talks about, about coming out. Like for some people, it's like you tell everybody it's a big moment and right. it's a big, it's a big break with the past of being closeted. Yeah. And then, but for a lot of people, it's just like sloppy and you've mentioned some stuff <laughs> to some people, but like it's not really clear where you're at and yeah. you don't know and they don't know. And there's a lot of alienation and, and like distance from people and kind of uh -huh. tacit dishonesty. And it's just habits that I, that I had to break. Well, you had to make a clear decision for yourself somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it just sounds, yeah. I mean, I can't, I, I can only imagine it that, that, you know, the confu, <laughs> it's, it's it, the, the not wanting to make waves thing yeah. or, or the, the, the risk of, of losing the affection or friendship of people, you know, must, must hang, loom pretty large. Yeah. And you don't know, you just don't know if they're going to hurt you. Yeah. You know, and, and or, or what, or whether they will go away. Right. Yeah. Um, but these bros must have been okay. These guys you were traveling oh, they were, with. They were great. Yeah. They're, and they're not bad bros. No, no not <laughs> at all. Uh, it was more of a me thing. And yeah. then I think I just feel like making that solo record. 
all these moves I made in my personal life were mirrored by the by the musical choices I was making. Like deciding I need to go somewhere and be alone and make a record kind of mostly alone uh-huh. um, was like taking some time to figure out who what's going on with me. Right. And then and then I just like started coming out and more. I started dressing feminine in public and uh uh you know wearing dresses or or makeup and I started on stage first yeah. cuz that's it seemed easier. Sure. I mean it's just a show. It's, it's still vague. Right. Yeah, you like, don't know if it's sure. a thing about David who I Johansson and anybody. But we, right. you know, it's like makeup and rock and roll is fine. Yeah, or it's, sometimes it's a political statement. You just you don't have to commit if you're on stage. Well, so so the the year of no returning was the beginning of you, kind of in your mind coming out publicly in your music and in in, in general. Slowly, yeah, it was sort of a step toward that. Right. So that's 2012, and certainly by perpetual motion, people, you're pretty, you know, it's you're pretty- dressing up. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm in a dress on the on the record yeah, cover, yeah. Uh, writing about gender yeah. and stuff. That's a whole weird thing because years and years of uh, of like playing dive bars and like being a very obscure band. Yeah, nobody really cared about us. And we yeah. had this like weird moment where we had a hit song in Austria. We went to Austria like three times. Which song? It was called "Take Off Your Sunglasses" from. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, yeah, and they they. Really what was that, that Day of the Dog? Which no, that was earlier? from Inside the Human Body, the second Harpoons album. Oh, really? Okay. So that like kind of kept us alive, but then like it's like just mostly like playing shows and like people not coming a lot of the time. Yeah. And even when Day of the Dog came out, uh, like people didn't care. Yeah. But then it was that record somehow it connected. And the funny thing is, I was just about to quit at that point. <laughs> of course. I, was, I actually actually had quit. I had decided in my mind that I think it's over. Uh-huh. Being a touring musician, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. Uh, and you've been at it for a few years by then. Yeah, like uh, seven years. Yeah. Seven years of touring a yeah. ton. Yeah. A ton. I mean, yeah, this kind of thing when, when musicians give their personal history and stuff, I, I would always listen to it and be like, what did you actually do? What did you do first? And then what did you do after that? Because like a lot of people are like, I don't know. Well, this happened and somehow lucked right. into this and it just kind of happened. <laughs> right. But for us, it was like we, I mean, the lucky thing was we got that first record deal. We never expected it. Then we just played shows forever. Yeah. For With seven the harpoon. years. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah. And then, and then just, that band broke up. I, I then you, a new band. Then Sandusky comes into your life. Is that his name? Tim Sandusky. Yeah. In the upstairs studio. Yeah. Changes and the game. He plays with you now still? Yep. Yeah. Yep. He's the, he plays the saxophone. Uh-huh. And, yeah, uh. Yeah, there's a, like some stuff on, I don't remember which album, but there's some out there sax work on a, on a couple of where He does wonderful things. Yeah, yeah. Uh. I, I found out that he played saxophone after I'd known him for it and recorded a little bit with him. And I was like, oh my God, we need this. This yeah. saxophone used to be the, like, before every band had, like, a lead guitar player, like in the 50s, they'd all have a sax solo, like a ripping sax solo. Right, I love yeah, that well, stuff. Yeah. You got a real thing for 50s music. Yeah. I'm, 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 I've been trying to 
trying to break that habit a little bit with this, yeah, yeah, with this new music. We're really, I don't know. I just uh, I just listened to the new single. Uh, it's not quite fifties, but it's definitely a three quarter. It's a three quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So okay. So you're going to quit, and all of a sudden you're you're big in England. All of a sudden, yeah. Um, and I still was going to quit. I was like, yeah, okay. Some we got some. Everyone's going to quit. Five star review. I don't care. I've been through too much. It's over. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna move on to some other new phase of my life. Yeah. Uh, and then we and then I felt bad like i just i've been like dragging my band through the mud and i was like well i should we should take a, this trip to europe i should give them the trip to europe i can't cancel this that. new band the boyfriends yeah so yeah. We were, it was going to be the last tour and then we're like on tour in england and like every show sells out and like people are people know the words you know it's just like a whole kind of just like the thing that i dreamed of you know for the first few years before I gave up on that ever happened. Yeah. And we kind of had this night where I stayed up, I stayed up in this hotel room with, with Tim and we're just like, this actually might not be the time to quit. This might be, it might be getting interesting now. Yeah, you're a real genius. You figured that out. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We sold out all the shows. Maybe, maybe we're finally onto something. Yeah. And I, and it, that's it, exciting. The mood all changed. I mean, it still was a ton of like, I don't know. Somehow the way we do it, it's always, it's always like, we just work really fucking hard. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, it's a tough gig, man. We 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 scheduled maybe too many shows, you know, and just like pound the pavement. All right. So now, what happens? You're about to go on the road. You're about to drop a new record. Yeah. Um, and this is actually is going to be your. Seventh, seventh full length record, yeah, in one form. Uh, and that's not counting like the little other releases, and yeah, yeah, EPs and B side right. collections and stuff. But uh, it's what it'll be the seventh. I, yeah, I know. I I think it's like being a Beatles fan. You're like they did two records a year, man. You got we got to keep putting them out. It's, I just you, I just write a lot. I love. You got a real? You still do the one song a week thing? No, I don't. I, I started to realize that that was making me write a ton of bad songs, and then I'd have to like sort through them. And be like, I think yeah. there was a good one in here. Right, somewhere, right, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I sort of trying to take more time on each one and uh-huh. really treat them, treat them like a writer writing. Yeah, writing a piece of literature. Which one did I just listen to? What's on your website? The new song. Probably love you so bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a good song. With the cellos, just cellos and drums. That one. Yeah, it's good. We're, we're like, it's a good story. It's relatable yeah. to everybody. <laughs> it's a good... Thank like, you. Uh, it's a little sad, but it's good. I know. I'm, I'm working on working well, on storytelling. Yeah? Are you? Consciously? Yeah. I mean, the whole... The, the new the new record is, uh, is very characters in a setting. And, you know, not... It's not really is about it? me and my personal life so much anymore. Oh yeah. So uh, is it a concept record? I I I have this like hesitation. It is. Uh-huh. I would say pretty much it is. Uh-huh. I've been hesitant to say concept record about it because that makes you think of. Uh, I don't know. It's it's it ain't a rock opera. Um, well, it's, it doesn't really have a story, an arc of a story, but it's a situation. It's and called Transangelic. Transangelic Exodus. Uh huh. Where'd that title come from? 
Well, a few places, but um, this it's just that this song, this this song, which is the first song on the record called Suck the Blood from My Wound, just kind of dropped into my head. I like found this song in my brain, uh-huh. uh, which for some reason was about an angel escaping from a hospital. I mean, the angel is, you know, driving in a car uh-huh. trying to escape a hostile government an authoritarian takeover uh-huh. which like the undertones here are not that hard to understand you know sure. of uh of just paranoia about a, a a government gone bad yeah um and what they might do to vulnerable people yeah um so then i kind of just like had written this song like i guess i have to deal with this what is this idea that i've right uncovered um and so most of the most of the record is set in a car escaping hostile authorities, me and my me and my damaged angel. Huh. Um You're bloodied in in songs throughout your career. Is that right? A little bit. There's a lot of blood and, and guts imagery, huh? Yeah. Fighting. I, I, I yeah. 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 Well I took it from Lucinda Williams, I think, mostly. Uh yes. I don't know if you're into Lucinda Williams at all. I love her. I talked to her in here. I love her. Oh you did? Yeah. Oh, I should hear that. Uh, yeah, she's yeah, great. she she can really write a like a visceral yeah. image, you know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's good. So, how does it end up with you and the beat up angel? You know, I think we're. I think it does. I think that's part of why it's not a rock opera. It's not a story. It's it's a perpetual situation uh-huh. of uh, perpetual paranoia and flight from. Uh, from hostile. hostile authority. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you feel that in your day-to-day life? Yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, I think I think there's a deep paranoia and siege mentality thing that's just in me yeah. from just, I don't know, growing up closeted queer. Yeah. And, uh, and now... And now... You know, current events are certainly aggravating that tendency. In me. Sure. Uh, and you're living in Berkeley, though, now, right? I'm living in Berkeley, California. You have a good yes. community up there. Yeah, friends. Yeah, and, yeah, right. yeah. Um, I yeah. It's a, definitely a city of fighters. I'm I'm uh, I'm in love with somebody who uh, is a, a student, a grad student, a uh-huh. PhD candidate at, oh, at yeah? UC Berkeley in political theory. Oh, really? So I'm hanging out with a lot of people talking about <laughs> yeah. talking about stuff like authoritarianism and uh uh-huh. um so that's playing on you. A little bit. Yeah. Uh yeah, my partner wanted to wanted me to mention that they're a big fan. Oh good. Well, that's <laughs> of, very of, nice. Of your show. And actually I am too. <laughs> well thank you. Since back in like twenty ten or something I've been listening to this. Oh yeah? Yeah. Uh yeah. On on the pretty regular, not every episode. Sure. A bunch of them. Yeah, well thank you. So how long you been with this uh person? A while. Yeah. A while. We we met in in uh at Tufts. Oh really? And, yeah, we haven't been together that whole time. There's uh, there was breakups and move aways and and we ended up together. That's yeah. a that's uh, a nice it's, story. It's so far that's a good story. That's a long time, man. It, yeah, it's it's So was he like the first and now he's the you know, he comes back around? Uh Kind of, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, you gotta, you, you gotta. Maybe not. Maybe not many people honor that. <laughs> you come so, back. Sometimes you gotta break up to understand what it's like to break up, and then be like, "Oh, we shouldn't have done that." Oh wow, that was yeah. an idiotic move. That's great. Now, the tour. So, you, what are you gonna do to take care of yourself? That's that's the question of the hour. Um, well, what do you? Are you I mean, do, like, are you druggy? Do you drink too much? What do you do? I'm I'm very mild on all that stuff. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, I'm a, I I can feel myself when I start to get compulsive with with drinking a little bit. I yeah. can see that's like, be careful. Yeah. But I'm I think I I was saved from being from being like an addict or anything by being just a very fearful person. Mm-hmm. And like I like I'm an alarmist. Like, you know uh, like if I like if I have a bunch of emails to answer, I'm like, I don't want to answer these emails. I'm going to like drink three beers. Yeah. Then I'm like, I'm out of control. I'm out of, I got to get, uh, what's, <laughs> what's going on with me? I'm That's an alcoholic. It's huh? <laughs> so, like, I just like get very afraid of it very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Which, well, that's uh, good. It's the saving know, fear, grace. Fear is good in that situation. Yeah. But do you, do you, do you actually, are you, uh, do you have a plan to, to, to somehow make this a good experience? Uh, I think, I think I got to remember to, uh, if I need to just lie on a hotel bed for an hour instead of going see my friend who's in town, maybe yeah. I'll just lie on the bed for an hour and sure. I'll see them another time. And uh, have you been to all the cities you're going to before? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, and actually, we're going to New Orleans, which we never played in New Orleans, which is surprising to me. That's a trippy place. Have you been there? I have, I've never been there, actually. It's got its own vibe entirely. I've been... Like you feel yeah. it, like you know yeah. you. you I've get, heard things, and you get into the city, you're like, "There's no place like this place." Yeah, that's yeah. what I hear. I yeah. mean, and also it's particularly musically, of course, you know, rich. Yeah, um, good food. Yeah, I've been to 48 American states, and one of the ones I haven't been to is Louisiana. So oddly, so you've got well, you got. So, what's so the I'll other be at 49 one? once I go to New Orleans. The yeah. other one's Alaska. I'm not sure how I'll get up there. You're closer. You're not that far in Berkeley. Just book a gig in Anchorage. Just to make it the the yeah. clean fifty. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I I do have to. I I feel like I need to listen to some of your brother stuff. Oh yeah, it's it's magical. It's so some of it's so intense. He's also he's also a writer. He's like a he's like. Did you guys play together when you were kids? No, not really ever. I, for some reason, I was like my my parents would be like, "Hey, our friends are over for dinner. Go, come come play us music, you know." And I to was you. game. Yeah. Uh, and and Jonah was like, "I'm never going to do that." <laughs> like I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think you can tell in your styles that uh, that, yeah, that he's, was. He's more insular and yeah. or, or something. I I have like a lot of traditionalist instincts. Yeah, you you got some pop music instincts. Yeah, I love this thing is. There's a lot more there. And that, three chords, you could do that for your whole life. Oh, you're preaching to the choir, buddy. Seriously. I fucking love that shit. I'm like, you know, it's, it's uh, like I, I remember listening to your record. I'm like, what is this guy? <laughs> He's just nailing it. It was great talking to you. I'm, I'm happy to meet you. Great talking to you, Mark. Have a good tour. Thanks. Okay. Go listen to him. Go listen to Ezra. It's good. It's 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 good. You'll 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 like it. And I'm not hard selling. I'm just saying I like it. So that was Ezra Furman, the new album. 
Transangelic Exodus comes out February 9th. And don't forget, Simply Safe has just released its brand new home security system, the all new Simply Safe, completely rebuilt and redesigned with new safeguards against power outages, downed Wi Fi, cut landlines, bats, hammers, and everything in between. It's smaller, faster, and stronger than ever before. And you still get 24 7 protection for only $15 a month. No contract. Supplies are limited, so visit simplysafewtf.com now. Oh, man. Do you want, am I playing guitar? Am I? Am I playing guitar? Boomer lives.